0: So the veterans in the crowd, everybody can please remove your hats first. The veterans in the crowd will know what to do when I give the preparatory command. Present arms!
1: I'm Todd Dills, and this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast will feature more from the man you heard on the harmonica at the top, Bill Watermelon Slim Holmes, bluesman extraordinaire. I had the rare opportunity to see his show in Red Key, Indiana this past weekend, February, uh, February 2, Saturday, at the beautifully preserved Key Palace Theater, where he was joined by our own long-haul Paul Marhofer opening the show when i pulled up to the old downtown main street where the key palace stands in red key population seven hundred give or take as a local told me what did i find but of course a fifty three foot dry van parked out front with its power unit an owner operator taking time out of a route to be there watermelon Slim is himself past commercial trucker his handle was the watermelon as regular readers will know as well as much else besides paul Marhoffer penned our best coverage of him and his history upon release of the most recent record last year, Church of the Blues, it's called. You can find that story by searching Watermelon Slim at OverdriveOnline.com. It's well worth a read. Before we hear more from Slim, though, you probably caught news from Overdrive Senior Editor James Gillette this week about a new study conducted independently by academics from three universities that looked at potential safety-sensitive impacts of the electronic logging device mandate. The upshot, if you saw the headlines, is that a comparative analysis of various carrier size groups, average weekly crash volumes, and hours of service violations, among others, showed that while hours violations were in fact down quite a lot for small carriers, there was little change in crash volumes before and after the mandate was being fully enforced in any size grouping. If anything, average weekly crash volume ticked up a bit for those most directly affected by the mandate, the smallest of fleets. It all seemed to lend at least a little further credence to the notion that the mandate ultimately might not be about safety at all. Also, the widely held contention that hours of service rule, uh, that the hours of service rule could use some work to reintroduce flexibility for professional truckers and how they utilize available hours within limits. James Gillette's talk with one of the researchers behind the study follows. The academic's name is Alex Scott an assistant professor of supply chain management in the School of Business at Northeastern University. And as you'll hear, he's got some background related specifically to trucking. Gillette aired some watchers' concerns with questions around accounting within the study for potentially confounding factors in, for instance, the volume of traffic, uh, among other contributing factors to crash likelihood. He started, though, with a question about the study's origin. Here's Gillette you know, why
2: did you and the other researchers, um, so you're from Northeastern, right? And you partnered yep. with researchers from uh, the University of Arkansas and what was the other one? Michigan State. Michigan State, right. Um, yep. So what, what prompted you guys to take up this research? Was it a, a sort of a general interest or um, did it come across your plate and, and, you know, looked compelling or what?
3: Yeah, so it was uh, our own curiosity and our own interest. Um, so particularly Jason, the guy at Michigan State and myself, have been, you know, studying the trucking industry for a long time. I've, I've been in the tr- in and around the trucking industry for since the mid 2000s when I was with JB Hunt as an engineer, and so on and so forth. So we've been interested in the industry. Recently, I was um, for another project was digging into the uh, FMCSA inspection data. Right, so they they collect and distribute just uh, a lot of inspection data. So I was digging into that, and I recognized that small carriers and large carriers behave very differently with regards to their hours service violations. And so then we've, of course, uh, read about and know about this uh, ELD mandate. And so this was kind of an interesting natural experiment, if you will, that here we're imposing ELDs on one segment of the population, but not on others, because the the big guys already had them. So it doesn't matter whether there's a mandate or not, they already have them. And so we thought that was really interesting. And to see, okay, will there be a behavioral change, uh, which clearly there was, right, clearly hours of service uh, violations went down significantly. And then we're, uh, and did it actually though, so it achieves its first order effect, but then did it achieve its second order effect? Because obviously there are uh, often unintended consequences with laws and mandates and whatnot. So we were curious about whether that occurred. So it was was really curiosity. We are paid to be, you know, we're research professors at our university. So we're paid to do academic research. So, uh, so that, those are the reasons. And just to be clear, we're paid by our university. We're not paid by industry groups. We're not paid by carriers or anybody like that.
2: that you present obviously speak for themselves you know accident uh incidents per week have not gone down in some instances have gone up um unsafe driving violations have gone up uh you know just based on the raw numbers um but uh you know one thing we were talking about was the you know the the highly variable nature of the industry so to speak that and the motoring public at large that um You know the economy, or whatever the case may be, may change um, uh, mileage uh, for both the trucking industry and for motorists as well. Yep. Um, which obviously would um, would would put uh, you know uh, would make it more likely that there would be more crashes or or that type of thing. Um, so Absolutely. I was just curious. You know, did you when you were doing this research, did you consider um, you know basing it on on mileage? You know, a lot of times we'll see research that. Uh, will be based on per million miles or per hundred thousand sure. miles, or whatever the case may be. So why'd you yep. choose to present raw numbers instead of something like, like per mileage? Yeah. So
3: those are great questions. So one thing is, uh, so we use what a uh, uh, it's a statistical method called difference and differences where we compare one segment to another segment. So we, the good thing is these large carriers were unaffected by the mandate. And so if, so if we compare the changes in the small carriers to the large carriers, Assuming both groups are uh, affected by things like traffic patterns, like weather patterns, like such, so on and so forth, that will, those differences will average themselves out. Um, so so by using that comparison in our statistical tests, that will take care of a lot of the variables you talked about. We also include things like seasonality controls, like monthly dummy factors. Um, if you're worried, if one were worried about mileage as or, or distance, as one should be, we include the CAS index, which CAS, uh does shipment volumes. So, so we include that we also uh interact that when i say interactive that's a statistical statistical term but interact that with uh how many registered carriers or, or trucks there are in each segment so so we are controlling in our in our study as best as we can for potential differences in uh in in freight volumes via the cas index uh, we, we also control for, so one co- control we do is we look at the uh, percentage of inspections by different types of, by different carrier sizes. And so let's say, let's say small carriers became a larger part of the population and that explains crashes going up. Well, that should also be reflected in the percentage of inspections by each type of carrier, right? And so we, we calculated that for every week, include that as a control variable. Um, so so there are multiple ways in the paper and the analysis that we do control for, geez, was this caused by just more miles driven? And it, it's hard to conclude that this is just a pure miles driven factor, especially if those miles driven affect large carriers as well as small carriers, because when we're looking at these differences, then it should affect all of the carriers. Um, so I, I, you know, there are some statistical nuances there, but, but yes, we do consider that in short by using various
2: methods. I'm curious as to what the next step is with this research, you know, who who do you hope uh, sees it? Um, you know, what do you think the impact will be in terms of public policy for uh, lawmakers um, or for regulators at the DOT or for the industry at large, you know, what do you hope to see come of this research?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, well, from a purely selfish standpoint, we um, try to get things published in academic journals. Which, of course, the public doesn't read any of our academic journals. But it is for our job functions. We do have to try to get published in academic journals. So that's one thing in the short term. Well, actually, that'll be more like the medium term. But uh, but in terms of the impact on society at large, we want to point out um, that maybe some of these uh, the effects do not appear using. Okay, so well, let's take a step back. There's been uh, many, many stories written and anecdotes about the impact of the LD mandate and disliking LDs and so on and so forth, uh, but we think it's valuable to approach things with an empirical and data-driven uh, mindset. So that one of our goals is just to get the conversation moving forward using hard data. And if the FMCSA came forward with data that refutes what we find, then great, in the sense that we moved the conversation forward with them having to provide some analysis on some hard data, right? I guess we kind of got... Uh, jaded with so many uh, anecdotes, it's nice to have data. Um, and then, in terms of policy implications, this does seem to have squeezed the small guys, um, and and it has also increased the cost of a disruption in their workday. Right, so the cost of being uh, disru- of, of being delayed while loading or unloading, live unloading or unloading, has gone up ex- after the ELD mandate. And so, how could you possibly alleviate that? Well, it seems like maybe designing some flexibility into that to reduce the impact of those disruptions or delays would be good so an example of that and i'm not i'm not suggesting i've done any analysis to say this is the right thing to do but an example would be well let's see it's 11 hours and 14 hours i believe that's the rule now what if you said 11 hours and 15 hours right that would lessen the impact of a delay uh, at a warehouse getting loaded or unloaded it would allow that person to re the driver to rearrange their schedule at least a little bit and while not impacting overall driving hours, but but so so those are some things that would be interesting to me, and that that kind of fall out of the study. Okay, uh,
2: Alex, that's a that's a great segue into one thing I did want to ask you about, which was uh, FMCSA. I'm I'm not sure if you're aware, it does have um, a a plan in the works to uh, issue a proposal sometime this year to maybe change portions of hours of service, uh, it's unclear what they're going to do, you know, whether they want to, whether they will pursue a, a sort of a wholesale revision of the hours of service uh, rule itself, or if they'll maybe propose smaller changes. But uh, do you think this, this, uh, the research you've conducted has any uh, bearing or, or would you like to, it to have any bearing on FMCSA's decision to uh, whether or not to pursue an hours of service uh, reform package?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I think That our findings have implications for um for the ELD mandate what it what it says to me is if you think about what ELDs do to a small driver you got to think about okay if it had a negative impact on them then how can you maybe while keeping ELDs I don't think anybody's going to take ELDs away to be honest with you I'm not advocating that because there are positive aspects to it regardless of safety Um, but maybe a way to alleviate that would be to add some of that flexibility back given an ELD, right? Saying you keep ELDs, but add some flexibility back to the driver. That strikes me as a, a reasonable policy uh, thing to test out. Uh, now, I'm an academic, so I love, you know, experiments and testing things, but uh, but that seems like something that would be reasonable to try.
2: Two more things, Alex, real quick. Um, sure. One, uh, were you surprised by what you found after you, uh, uh, you know, looked at the numbers and conducted the research over the last few months. Um, And two, uh, what's any, any more planned research with you and and your team as far as uh, hours of service or electronic logging devices or, you know, really anything else trucking related? So, so the first
3: step was not surprising that it uh, reduced, that it reduced our service violations was not surprising at all, right? We all expected that. uh, And so that was not surprising. Um, The fact that did not uh, reduce accidents, I would say I was moderately surprised until I thought about it a lot more. Um, So on the surface of it, it is kind of surprising because if fatigue were the major dominant factor and this reduces fatigue, then you would expect to see a reduction in accidents. However, when I dug into it, I even looked at DOT's own numbers. uh, There's some um, study from 2010 where they they attribute something like 1.4% to fatigue or something, so just a small number. So if that's true, then I guess it's actually not all that surprising that it wouldn't have a big impact on accidents. Um, and then the uh, behavioral response of perhaps unsafe driving. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's at least interesting, whether it's surprising, but it's certainly interesting, the responses of uh, of a of a human being once you change the constraints on their on their uh, behavior or production. Um, so that was so. I would say the first one wasn't surprising. The second ones were uh, moder- you know somewhat surprising. So we are looking at specific violations behavior. One of my uh, co-authors, Jason Miller's looking at each violation by its individual code and how that's changing due to the ELD mandate. One paper I have that I think is interesting, I look at spot prices and how spot prices or, or the payoff uh, affects driver behavior. So you know, when prices are high, you'd expect our service violations to go up and when they're low, you'd expect them to go down. So I've done a detailed study on how prices affect driver behavior. Um, and then I think there's a, a number of different things we think a long-term follow-up on this would be interesting. We think uh, if there's another policy shift, that would be interesting. So those are kind of some of the things we're looking at right now. but this was a yeah this was a very interesting uh, setting for sure.
1: Find two reports from James Gillette on the study from Alex Scott and colleagues at the universities of Michigan State and Arkansas. via overdriveonline.com search ELDs comma crash rates. Switching gears back to the scene in Red Key, Indiana this past weekend, where, as you heard, up top, Watermelon Slim's harmonica version of Taps was dedicated by the bluesmen to the fallen in America's wars, including those among U.S. allies. He singled out our Canadian brothers who fought and died in Afghanistan, specifically. Slim himself is a Vietnam vet, and as he transitioned from his version of Taps into a track from the new record, he further spelled out his family's involvement in World War II, up a remarkable song from Church of the Blues that stood out clearly from uh, much of the rest of his two sets that Saturday night. Its message is one with a clear focus on issues of the here and now. Here's Bill Watermelon Slim Holman setting it all up.
0: My dad fought in My I had two uncles that fought in the Battle of the Bulge. To win the Women's Army Corps nurse. When World War II we fought the Nazis because it's hardly to fight them. I'm going to uh, play you one of the songs off this new record here. There. this is the blues mostly, and this particular song is called Charlottesville. Now y'all perhaps remember. Uh, back in 2017, the disgraceful display at Charlottesville, Virginia, with the cheeky torches and, and the young people Absolutely. doing this stuff. Yeah. Not, not on my street, y'all. Wow. This right. song is called Charlottesville, and, I, and, 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 if I, and of all the songs on this record, I had to most deeply insist that this song, though not in the blues form, be included. Thank you for putting up with my long-windedness about this, but it's, it's very important to me, and I hope it's important to y'all. See you, sir. Yeah. Hey. Talking to somebody about the man that did this song. His name was Detroit Jr., they called him uh, Emory, Emory Williams, his real name. And he was a piano player of such talent that he could take and sit down underneath the piano and play it backwards. Now let me let me do the math here. I got I got I play a, a right-handed guitar, left-handed and backwards. I got six strings. He had eighty-eight keys. Do the math and see who was really a virtuoso. And it's called Call My Job, tell the boss I won't be in. <laughs> drink last night. I had too much weekend. Saturday I play the ponies. Sunday I be set drinking. Monday morning 8 8.30 a.m. I'm holding my head and thinking call my job. Come on Like today. On, oh my God! do get anything with Send him an email, Instagram. I had too much to drink last night, but okay, though I had too much to be You know I had to but we can I'm telling you what.
1: Mellon Slim today lives in Clarksdale, Mississippi, home of the infamous crossroads of blues lore. As he told by way of introducing his next tune, the first time he visited the crossroads, well before he lived there, he was robbed, beaten, and left for dead. Local police later threw him out of town, he said. And then, well, here's Slim from the stage.
0: Since then I've done so much better, I own my house in Clarksdale, Mississippi. and. Uh... And and I can afford to live there and people actually respect me. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't call Highway Sixty One. I learned I learned my version mostly from Mr. Fred McDowell. 51 highway in love Play it, you We will drive to make a living of their drive for God. I'm a crow.
1: Thank you all for coming Watermelon Slam plays tonight, Friday, February 8th in Lombard, Illinois, followed by dates in St. Louis, Tupelo, Mississippi, and Oklahoma City. Find his schedule through early summer on his Church of the Blues support tour at watermelonslim.com backslash tours. You can also find videos from the, uh, from the performance from both Slim and Longhaul Paul Marhofer at overdriveonline.com. Until next time, stay safe out there.